comfort. Well, this weekend, of course, is uh, Pentecost Sunday, and I want to just uh, let you know that if you didn't know this, that um, Pentecostalism as well as uh, the Charismatics now constitute something like close to 700 million of the Christian population around the world. It is the fastest growing uh, denomination within the Christian faith. It is also the largest, uh, fastest growing uh, faith in across the whole world. And, uh, and this is because of the entrance of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I want to encourage us to never forget and to forsake our heritage. Uh, we are a Bible-believing, tongue-speaking, demon-casting, spirit-filled church here in Cornerstone, okay? And we will remain that uh, forever. Amen. Well, I want to continue into, um, you know, into part two of uh, speaking about the Lord's Prayer, which I began last week. If you missed last week's message, I want to strongly encourage you to go back onto YouTube and you'll be able to get it on demand. And that will lay a very good foundation for understanding what we're going to get into uh, this week. Of course, last week, we only managed to cover two phrases within the Lord's uh, Prayer, uh, which is the first one, Our Father in Heaven, and the second, Hallowed be thy name, okay? And this is what we uh, talked about uh, briefly last week. And we talked about the Jewish people, how they already had a very sophisticated religious system that was in place. They had many types of prayer that they would pray. And yet, in spite of that, the disciples in Luke chapter 11 came to Jesus and said to the Lord, Lord, teach us how to pray which is very, very puzzling because it was not in a, in a state of vacuum where there was no instruction about prayer at all. But the Jewish people already had a very extensive system of prayer. And chief amongst this is what we call the Amida, which is a collection of 18 blessings and petitions which the religious Jewish people would pray three times a day. And yet, despite of this, the disciples said, teach us to pray. And that's where the Lord taught the Lord's Prayer, which consisted of nine uh, petitions or statements, right? Now, as you consider the Lord's Prayer and we make reference in comparison to the Amida, we'll see that there are significant differences between these prayers. And it is in examining the differences that we come, there comes a deep revelation of the purpose that Jesus sought to deliver to us in teaching us about the Lord's Prayer, or teaching us the Lord's Prayer. So again, I want to start off this week's message by asking us to recite the Lord's Prayer together. I'm going to flash this on the screen. I've made some rewording of the first two lines and I don't intend to change the Word of God, okay? But just to add an enhancement to what we talked about last week, okay? So let's read this together. Abba, our Father in heaven, make your name holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, what I'm going to do for this weekend because of limitation of time as well is that I'm going to touch briefly on several fundamental but very, very important shifts in the perspectives that Jesus sought to bring about as He taught us the Lord's Prayer. And then, at the end of it, I'm going to focus on one particular line, the fifth line, which is, give us this day our daily bread. Okay, I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon. I've been a Christian for over 30 years. I've never heard anyone preach just that on this one line, on give us this day our daily bread. Okay, after all, it is so straightforward. What is there to talk about in this line? I'll tell you a little bit more later on. But last week, we talked about three principal things that we learned from 
the, uh, this revolutionary prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And the first is the language in, wo- in which it was prayed. The second focuses on the relationship that God wants to bring to us. And then finally, the third, we talked about the revelation that comes to us. I want to go on to the fourth point, which is the balance. And because when you examine the Lord's Prayer, you'll notice that the first three prayers that are made, or the first three petitions, hallowed be thy name, or make your name holy, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These three portions are concerned with God's realm, His agenda, and the broader picture of what God is doing. Before then, it goes on to three other things which are essentially focused on our world, our needs, and what is our concern. Now, the first thing you've got to notice is that, uh, that prayer isn't just about ourselves. This might sound obvious to many of us, but let me tell you this. When you closely examine your own personal prayer lives, you might actually begin to think that, hey, prayer is all about you. After all, I think in reality, many of us, when we come to pray or when we are stirred to pray, it's often because we have a certain need in our lives. Amen? When you face a situation, when you face a concern, that's where you get on your knees and you pray, Lord, help us in this situation. Amen? And so the prayer is something that we can easily begin to think that it is all about us, but I want to assure you that this is not how the Lord intends it to be. Amen? The worst thing that can happen is as Christians, all our, our prayer time consists only of asking God for our own needs. And Jesus, in teaching us how to pray, you know, first brings to us a balance, you know, of a prayer that, and, and carrying this balance of participating in His agenda. Amen. And so there is these prayers that He teaches us that when we present our requests and our needs to Him, it is important for us to have this perspective that the first thing is that we got to balance it out to praying God's matters as well as our matters. Amen. And that's an important balance. I want to encourage you when you wake up in the mornings and you begin to pray that it's not just a whole a laundry list of things that we ask God to do for us. Amen. You know, it's not just about our needs, but it's saying, Lord, what is it that you want to do? What is it, is, what is it that's on your agenda? The second thing about this balance that we got to notice that, there is, that the proper perspective that's given to us is that the first thing we should be praying about isn't about our own needs. Instead, the Lord prioritized His own agenda above our needs. And we as Christians must never become so myopic as to think that our Christian faith is all about servicing our own needs. And sometimes we fall into that. Amen. We come to church and we want a message about how to live life better, how to do this. And we just want the message to be about us. But when God taught us how to pray, He says, first you put the kingdom ahead. You pray about what is on God's heart before you bring what is your own matters before the Lord. But let me say this, God is concerned for us. And that's why in the prayer, He gives us permission to bring our needs to Him because He wants to answer our needs. But we must not put our needs ahead of what is His desire. The implications here are absolutely crucial. Amen? And God's intention is for us to spread our vista beyond ourselves and to see the broader meta-narrative of what He is doing on this earth. Amen. This is literally in putting this balance before us. It is an invitation for us to rise above ourselves and our mundane pursuits of our own agenda and the things of needs that are all around us to a far larger mandate to participate in what He's doing. 
If you think for a moment that life has become meaningless and life has become mundane and routine and it's all about paying the bills and dealing with inflation and so on, then I want to encourage you to focus on the first three prayers concerning God's kingdom because God will begin to lift your vision higher beyond yourself. And then you discover purpose. Then you discover reason for why you are here on this planet. God wants to inject purpose into our lives. Amen. The next aspect about the Lord's Prayer is that it gives us an understanding of scope, right? You see, the Amida has got many similarities to the Lord's Prayer, but at the same time, there are some very clear distinctions. As you examine the 18 blessings or the 19, uh, there were the, the 19 where one was added subsequently, you'll discover the following things about the Amida. It has a strong emphasis on Jerusalem and the Temple an emphasis on the suffering of the Jewish people and also a prayer for the relief and the restoration of the Jewish community or the Jewish nation. Forgiveness is, also, is asked for in the Amida, but somehow it is not connected to the extension of forgiveness. And then there is a part in the Amida which calls for an attack against the enemies of Israel, okay? Now, when you examine the Lord's Prayer, it is really quite different, isn't it? What you will discover that in the Lord's Prayer, there is no reference to Jerusalem, neither is there a reference to Israel, but instead we pray for God's will to be done on earth. It's all the earth. It's not just in Israel, right? And not only that, there is no specific emphasis on us, that, you know, Lord, this is us as a community praying for us as a Christian body. Forgiveness is deliberately tied to us forgiving others. And what you will notice is this is an intentional uh, uh, um, a move to remove the divide between us and them. As we examine the Amida, there's a clear division between us and them. Forgive us, attack them. But in the Lord's Prayer, it's not. You know, you want forgiveness, you forgive them. Amen. And then, of course, in the Lord's Prayer, there's no petition against outsiders. There's almost a removal of the insider and the outsider. When you examine these two prayers, what you'll discover is this. The Amida is really a, a, a prayer that's tailored for a very specific ethnic community that is centered in Jerusalem. If you're not Jewish, if you're not living in Israel, I'm telling you this prayer has got very little to offer you. Right? If you really consider this. And the Lord's Prayer would be a very deliberate effort to desionize the prayer agenda for us to cause us to see more than that. Amen. It's a removal of a dividing line for us to understand that God wants us to go forth and to reach out to all. Now, I feel it necessary for me to rehearse this with us one more time here in Cornerstone because in many Christian circles today, there is a deep fascination with Jerusalem and of course, with the foretelling of the rebuilding of the temple that is in Jerusalem. I want to say this, that the temple will be rebuilt according to the Word of God, but it is uh, being, it's going to be rebuilt as a sign to us, but it is not the focal point. If we begin to focus totally into Jerusalem and to, into the temple that is going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem, then I want to say this, that this is a false lead. This is a wrong focus that will misguide us and lead us away from Christ and the agenda that He has for us. Now, I don't for a moment believe in a replacement theology here in Cornerstone. We love Israel, we pray for Israel, and we will continually pray and ask for the peace of Jerusalem. In fact, a portion of our tithe is dedicated to ministries in Israel and in Jerusalem because it is our commitment towards the Jewish people from whom we have received the blessings of salvation. Amen? 
And that's what the Bible teaches us. But at the same time, what is important, our primary focus should be praying for the salvation of the Jewish people that they may come to see the light that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Amen. Jesus is the second Moses that has been promised in the Old Testament and that our eyes may be opened and see the salvation as well. But let us not forget Isaiah 66 verse 1 to 2. And I want to read you this verse. It says this, Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my, hands ha- my hand has made. And all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, one who trembles at my word. If I could say this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, this is repeated to us in the New Testament where it says this, you also, you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. This is clearly established both in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. Yet God's preferred dwelling place is not a physical building. Amen. It is not found in a place in the Middle East. God's preferred dwelling place is searching and running and looking all through the earth. It's for men and women of a certain disposition. Amen. Men and women whose hearts are inclined to Him in a particular manner. I'm telling you this, God has a specific design. He has a specific look and a specific house that He's looking for that is made of flesh and blood. Women and men who are broken in spirit, humble, who trembles at His word. That's what God is looking for. Amen. It is on those, it's on such that the Lord will dwell upon and we must not develop some kind of a romantic attention, uh, att- attachment to the Holy Land such that we miss the fact that the Lord's desire is for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth, to every nation, tongue, tribe and people. Amen? And the Lord in His prayer was intentional in, pro- in, uh, in, in projecting this to us. Amen? Then the next thing that I want to mention about the Lord's Prayer is the work, okay? And the little phrase that says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is really important. You see, the problem is that our often unspoken assumption is that as Christians, we think that our sole purpose is to get ourselves ready for heaven. We become so heavenly minded. We focus on God's dealing in our lives, on Christian character, eternity as our primary destination. And what happens is that we, we seem to come to a place where we think that there's nothing else for us to do on this earth, that God has no interest whatsoever. But then if that be the case, then why should we pray for the will of God to be done on earth? You see, this little line that is put there, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You got to understand, in heaven, God's will is always done. There is no hindrance to the flow of His will and God moves as He wills. But here on the earth, there is great resistance to the will of God. And so we pray this and we ask this. And I want to suggest to to you this, does ecology, peace among peoples, nations, economic justice, racial equality, refugees, land rights... Are these all merely political issues of this world that we should not be concerning ourselves with? Or by asking the Lord for His will to be done, that we actually have, we actually have to be concerned about these matters. We actually have to let our hearts be moved by these concerns because this is what the Lord is looking at. I want to show you a little verse in John chapter 18, verse 36 that is sometimes misunderstood. In this verse, Jesus said this. He says, My kingdom is not of this world. Not of this world. What does that mean? 
Does it mean that God doesn't want anything to do in this world? I want to suggest this to you, and I want to tell you this, that this uh, verse is not properly rendered. The right rendering of this verse should be, my kingdom is not from this world. That's the correct rendering in the Greek. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this, the origins and the working dynamics of God's kingdom doesn't follow or doesn't originate in the methodologies of this world. The world did not give birth to the kingdom of God. In fact, the kingdom of God runs on a completely different operating system. It isn't dictated by the culture of the day, nor by any political uh, persuasion. And hence, this, does, this verse does not negate the fact that God is interested in what is happening on this planet. He desires justice, through, though His means to bring about justice may be quite different from the way the world wants to do it. He desires for His creation to be restored, you know, uh, creation care. He desires righteousness to be established, but His methods are quite different from what the world wants to do. You see, when God placed this in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus was clearly indicating for us to grasp the fact that God is concerned with what is happening on this planet. At the same time, as we begin to pray this prayer, thy will be done, there is immediately a sense of asking, Lord, what then is my part to do? You see, I want to ask, I want to ask us to consider seriously what this means in terms of our profession, our passion, and our involvement in civil society. I want to ask us that tomorrow morning or this afternoon when you pray the Lord's Prayer and says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that you would pause for a moment and not just gloss over this statement as though God is the one who's going to come down and boom, everything is going to be according to His will. But to say, Lord, and I pray this prayer, what is my part to do? What is, what is it that I'm supposed to bring forth of your will on this planet? And you know, this is an incredible line because I'm telling you this, whatever profession that you might be in, you need to ask God, Lord, what is my part to bring forth your will on this earth? And to know that God is concerned. God is concerned about what is happening in your schools. God is concerned about what is happening in your offices, in the areas that you're in charge of. God is concerned about these things. Now, I want to finally close off this whole uh, um, series, okay, and you know, I just have these two uninterrupted weekends here, and uh, you know, if you, got a ch if you get a chance to look at my notes, okay, I literally have pages of extra notes on the Lord's Prayer, which I would not be able to cover, okay, but I want to talk about, um, I want to close off by talking about our provision, right, and here is this line that says, give us this day our daily bread. What's so complicated? What's there to talk about? Why do I need to focus on this? You see, most of us we don't realize that this little phrase presents a problem for us as Christians. And the problem arises from one particular word in this phrase, and it's the word daily, okay? Give us this day our daily bread. Now, the word daily is the Greek word apiosios, okay? And the problem with this word apiosios is that it's a word that only appears once ever. That's it. Search the rest of the Bible, you will not find this word. In fact, they couldn't find a definition for this word that they went into other ancient Greek texts to see if they could find this word. And amazingly, in all the ancient Greek texts they could come across, they couldn't find this word. Have you ever heard of the word supercalifragilisticexpialidocious? What on earth does it mean? 
It has no meaning whatsoever. Someone in some song came up with this ridiculous phrase and then all of us somehow knows this supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. But it means nothing at all. And this is exactly what happens. They have discovered a word for which they don't know what this word means. There is no source document. There is no dictionary to tell you what this word means. So how did they end up translating this word as being daily? As being daily. Amen. The way they came to this was because they went back to the early church fathers and they would look at their message on the Lord's Prayer and see how they would interpret this portion. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to give you very quickly four things or four ways in which this word was, or this phrase is interpreted by the early church fathers right up to 500 AD. Okay, two of these words, two of the ways they interpret was to say that this word, apiosios, is a word that relates to time. And two other interpretations says that this word is related to quantity, okay? So, there's one interpretation that says, give us this day the bread of today. Provide us what we need today, okay? And that's a time uh, uh, quality. Another says, give us this day, uh, give us the bread of tomorrow. Not just today, but tomorrow as well, you know? Not far ahead, but just, you know, slightly ahead, extra. Uh, and then there are others who say that, no, this is a word that measures quantity and not time. So someone translated this as, give us just enough bread to keep us alive and no more. Right? And the whole thought was that, hey, the children of Israel were in the wilderness and every day God gave them just enough for one day. Just enough. Take just what is enough, no extra. And then others say, hey, that's too harsh. And this probably means give us the bread that we need. Not just for today, not just it's only enough but a little bit more. I want to suggest to you that there is a fifth possibility that can be found in the old Syriac uh, translation of the Bible, Syriac, okay? And that's a, that's a language, okay? And, and, um, and Syriac is a language that is very, very close to Aramaic. In other words, Jesus spoke in Aramaic, they wrote the New Testament in Greek, and then in Greek, they translated back into Syriac. Now, right now in this, on, on this, in this world, there are two copies of the old Syriac translation of the Bible. The first one is found and kept in the monastery of St. Catherine on Mount Sinai. And the second is in the British Museum in London, okay? So I know holidays are coming, lots of people are traveling. I see our church members, uh, social media, everybody's everywhere, you know, kind of thing. And, um, and so if you get to go to London, if you get to go to the UK, go to the British Museum, you'll find a copy of this translation. Now, they believe that this translation, these Bibles that they found, uh, dates all the way back to 200 AD, just, just about 200 years after the Lord's death and resurrection. And, they, and this Bible, this Syriac Bible, translate this phrase like that. Okay, I want to show it to you. This is how it translates. It says, Amen, bread today, give to us. That's what it literally translates in Syriac. What on earth? What does that mean? Right? The issue here is that the word amen is not quite the same amen that we are used to. But this word amen literally means lasting, never ceasing, never ending, perpetual. In other words, this version says this, give us today the bread that doesn't run out. Bread that continuously is there, perpetually forever, never running out. You see, when I found out about this, 
It was like a light came on for me. I saw the magnitude, the massiveness, you know, and I saw the first four possibilities as just limiting in terms of what Jesus would say. And I believe this is the translation. This is the correct thing that Jesus was saying because if you look at what this is saying, it it matches everything that what Jesus is doing in the Lord's Prayer. You know, its implication is not just today, it's tomorrow. It's not just about a provision, but it changes us implicitly from the inside out. Because this this is not just a prayer for daily provision, but this is a prayer to free us from the earthly concerns of privation that all of us are subjected to. Now, let me explain this. If there is one thing that we've learned over the last couple of years is that life can be absolutely uncertain. How many of you could ever predict that in your lifetime living here in Singapore that for two months you'll be locked in in your house and not allowed to come out? How many of you could imagine that we all will be forced to wear masks, that we couldn't go out except by two by two, you know, at, at certain times? How many of you could ever know that a pandemic would strike the whole planet in such a manner as to make the whole world come to a standstill, that we'll live to see such a day? None of us ever predicted that that would happen in our days. You see, that's how life is. Life is unpredictable. Who can say if tomorrow we would be retrenched, that one day our investments may be going up and the next day it may collapse completely. Recession might hit. We might be confronted with sickness, war, such as what is happening in Ukraine that has affected everybody, pandemic, and worse still, no chicken from Malaysia starting from June. Uncertainty is certain. And yet Jesus embeds this little line in the Lord's Prayer, give us this this day, give us today the bread that doesn't run out. You see, in asking God for lasting, never-ceasing, never-ending, perpetual bread and provision that never runs out, you know what we're doing? We're asking God to bring us to a place where we will trust Him to take care of all our needs forever. It is to come to a place of such reliance in God that the uncertainty that is sure to confront us does not shake us. Amen. It is to come to a place of total trust and assurance that our future is in the hands of God and knowing for a certainty that God will take care of us. So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're not just asking for a little portion of provision. We're saying, God, bring us to a place where we totally trust you for everything that can happen in our lives. That's the massiveness of this thing. You see, I think that the only way to to see this line match up to the magnitude of what Jesus intended to do with the Lord's Prayer is to understand it from this single possibility. And when we begin to take this portion of the Lord's Prayer to, 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 to understand it this way, it brings it to a brand new depth of meaning, doesn't it? When you consider this to be the true interpretation of the word apiosios, all of a sudden, when you understand this, all the previous possible interpretations are now included in this interpretation. And not only that, this interpretation exceeds all the four previous interpretations. God will provide for you today. God will provide for you tomorrow. God will provide for you just enough. And what, guess what? He'll provide for you beyond what is enough. And even more, He will provide for you perpetually, never ceasing, never ending, bread that never runs out in your life. Amen. I don't know what is it that we're concerned with. Maybe it's our children. Maybe it's about the schools they're going in. Maybe it's about our job. Maybe it's about our provision. Maybe it's about our investment, our future, our retirement. I'm telling you this. God wants to free us from all these fears. Amen. And there's the power of one line in the Lord's Prayer. Just one line. 
in the Lord's Prayer. I'm telling you, as I gaze upon the Lord's Prayer over this last few weeks preparing for these messages, I'm shaken to see the magnitude of what Jesus does. He is the Logos. He is the Word, amen, made flesh. And when He speaks, even a little single word will make all the difference, amen. You know, I want to top this off by adding a few things to consider concerning this single prayer for, for provision. Realize this, we're asking for bread, we're not asking for cake, okay? Bread, if I could say this, is the basic necessity in the days of Jesus. It is the most basic meal that is put before every person's house. Cake, on the other hand, is a representation of consumerism. Just the other day, I bought this on the, on the Swiss roll, you know, for my wife because she loves that. You know, and I'm telling you, this is no on day on day, okay? This is no tiramisu, this is nothing. This is just simple bread. And God's promise is that He will provide for us. Amen. And not only that, this prayer is taught to us as something whereby we ask for our bread, our, it is collective, it's not individual, right? And, and the assurance from God is that, hey, we can ask not just for ourselves, but we can ask for every person that is under the umbrella of our covering. As pastors, we ask not just for ourselves, we ask for every one of you. Provide never-ending bread for every person in Cornerstone. Take care of everyone. God is sufficient for that. And you can take on the needs of the people around you and not just yourself because this prayer makes provision for that. Amen. I want to bring this to a conclusion. And, you know, I really am you know, very stirred about uh, the Lord's Prayer. And I know sometimes, you know, in communion, we pray the Lord's Prayer and we pray it rather fast, you know, and because of time, because of restrictions, you know, in, in, in the service and we have to wait for our next service to come in. But I want to strongly suggest for you, perhaps in your own time, that you would go back to this prayer and take a look at it. Amen. And there's a lot more. The part about forgiveness, the part about you know, temptations. There is so much. And I'm telling you, every line, every little phrase has got so much that the Lord has packed inside for us. And God is, is there, you know, it's not just simple requests for this and for that. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, there's something unleashed upon our whole person that God wants to do. Amen. I, you know, we're going to have, we're going to come to the Lord's table. We're going to have communion together. And at the end of communion, we are going to pray the Lord's Prayer together, okay? But I want to invite us to come to this place of knowing that He is more than enough. This weekend, you know, I talked about the scope, I talked about the work, and I talked about the balance. But the thing I really want to point out is this thing about provision. Give us the bread that never runs out. And I don't know how many of us, we need to pray that in our lives. I need to pray that. I've had concerns over the last couple of months and I'm telling you as I'm preparing this, I wish I could share with you openly about this, but it's so private, I don't want to share it. As I'm praying about this, the Lord just spoke to me three days ago and brought me to a situation where He just said, hey, hey and He completely allayed my fears about a matter in my own life. And there's something powerful about the Lord's Prayer. It's not just something we recite and that's it. There is something really powerful and I want to invite you to come into the Lord's Prayer together. Amen. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, 
please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.